All right. Ah! <laughs> I, do, I don't know where the recording is starting now. Um, just because it, it gave us the note mid-intro. Um, hello and welcome to the Sotoxapod. First episode in a while. In a long, long while. Uh, we're back. We're rejuvenated to some degree. Um, we're better than ever. I mean, or are we? I don't know. Doesn't matter, really. Um, yeah. And we're here with a slightly changed format. Um, we're going to have a bit of a chat and then we're bringing a bit of structure into the unstructuredness, but I think we'll just uh, leave it up to you, listener, to uh, to decide whether that makes sense or not. Um, and Absolutely. yeah, whether, whether we actually stick to the structure that we set ourselves. In F1 terms, we had a silly season in the summer. Oh, kind of, uh, in terms of what's been going on, we've uh, we 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 basically thought it'd be fun to talk about a specific, completely random, not picked topic, and see what kind of stuff we can just talk about in that sense. Uh, and then to always integrate a bit of F one talk um, along in our podcast at the end. Um, but we want to try this new experiment of how good are random Wikipedia articles. For conversation starters and um, yeah. we have a first very interesting one today but yeah apart I mean, from that sorry no uh, no i mean i was just gonna say you it's it's I, I agree it's a bit silly what we're doing but on the other hand I, I thought you know um so so we figured out um we found like a random word generator and it gave us an input and we figured okay well we'll, we'll have a look into it and we'll we'll see what we find and it was on on mini cameras or on cameras in general and I, I thought it was really interesting, you know, it made me think about a few things that I hadn't considered so far, just like how beholden we are to camera technology and how digital cameras have changed our life um, and how like things that I grew up with uh, have become like rest, less relevant, but yeah, just kind of still in their niche so far. Yeah, it's funny actually that you say that. So like me just clicking through a few different like really random things on Reddit or, or finding various news articles or looking at, at history of cameras. I really did not spend much time on this, but just the random stuff I clicked on gave me the impression, like, I, I think I take the camera in our society for granted. I never really, even though there's so much talk about like the government spying on you and everybody's tracked and like those topics, you never realize how present cameras are in your life yeah, in all kinds sure. of areas. It's really interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was exactly. my kind of reaction to all of this. Yeah, one one super interesting thought, or or something super interesting that I found, um, which was in a three part video series um, on the history of cameras. Um, let me bring it up uh, so that I can recommend the channel. Um, was how when cameras here it was by uh, Simon's Utac, um, three part history of cameras. Um, he brought up how when cameras first became like a handheld thing like point and click, but but available to the masses, right? Uh, on film and when they first started entering wars, how much they changed war, right? Because suddenly you had images of the frontline, images of, of death and destruction that could be used, A, to track positions, to give away military secrets, but also for propaganda sakes against or for the war effort. And I realized, yeah, th this initial change, you know, we, we look at the war in Ukraine these days and you know, you hear satellite images and you hear like people tracking troop movements and, and live feeds of drones and these sort of things. And you think, well, that started by some poor fucking soldier pointing a camera at, at the battlefield and publicizing what death like that looked like for the very first time in 
you know, over a hundred years ago, I thought it was, it was mad to think about how, how there must've been this initial conversation. Like, you know, nowadays, you know, something new happens and, and we're a group of friends and we have shits and giggles and we go, you know, oh, well, maybe we should try this or that, you know, and someone must've had a conversation like that a long time ago in the military of going like, well, you know, these people, our soldiers are bringing this technology into this. We are see, they are seeing and, and proving the cause and effect of, of war. What do we do about it? You know, and, and military leadership tried their hardest to, um, yeah, to go against these things. I thought it was crazy. You know, think about well, and that's, that. that. That's a really interesting point, too. If you look at how war has been perceived and since the camera has become a more accessible thing and pictures have been used a lot more to describe scenarios or accompany descriptions of scenarios, it's really interesting to see because I would say nowadays people are more or it seems like a lot more people are against war than it was 100, 150 years ago. When I mean, around 100 years ago is when the first like mini cam, like, according to my research, which was not much, and I'm not here to state proper insane facts, but around 100 years ago is when these mini cams started coming out. They were taken on, on battlefields, etc. So that's why we're able to remaster old images. And that first initial reaction of like, oh, my God, this is what war actually looks like. This is where our loved ones are actually going. I'm sure that had an insane effect Yeah. Um, in, in terms of general war perception and maybe also how war was developed and how war is held nowadays yeah it's still bloodshed but it's different right yeah so it's super interesting to consider the, the the influence there dude absolutely right um if if we look at any of this slide change you know um i was listening to someone who was saying who brought up photos that their relatives had taken in the 19 uh, in the 1870s in dublin ireland or in ireland uh, don't don't nail me if it wasn't Dublin um and I thought that was super interesting you know because back then when these sort of things became became common you started giving out photos of yourself to other people as like a as like a card like a greeting card you know just just imagine how insane that must have been suddenly to have an image of someone that was preserved over time without it being a painting you know, when, so I was in Paris last weekend, I was in the Louvre, and they had a, pic, uh, had a painting of Louis the Fourteenth, one of the Louis. That was a painting. We don't know if that person actually looked like that because it was painted. It was subjective. Yeah. You know, and then, and then yeah. peasants start giving out postcards with their face on it. And suddenly we are so capable of seeing every other person on this planet essentially whenever we want to. You know, a great example of that and cameras doesn't really apply, but in terms of like painting and age, like Jesus was not a white guy, but because of continuous paintings and like re-storytellings, he's like a white guy now everywhere. Like he wasn't white. <laughs> he lived yeah. in the Middle East. He wasn't white. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting. And, and pictures are like paintings are still used to like digitize and uh, collect even like potential DNA matches for facial recognition, et cetera, like of old, you know, lines, et cetera. So it could be technically false information. <laughs> Who knows? I think cameras have, have come a long way in terms of increasing the accuracy of, um, of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Which is to a degree a shame, I guess. Um, you know, because I mean, it's good to be able to say, well, we have this objective quantifier of things, but at the same time, back when storytelling was word to mouth, 
maybe there was a bit more creativity or a bit more kind of flexibility in it um yeah. purely for the sakes of storytelling of course that being said maybe that's also kind of why things like dungeons and dragons are on the rise now because it goes back to that it goes back to like a non you know something you do in your own head something where the visualization is subjective instead of being objective like for example a movie or an animated show absolutely a bit more like fantasy uh element and less harsh truth i guess mm -hmm. um so yeah going jumping into the kind of first thing i looked at when looking at mini cams or the general um well was the history because i was interested in the introduction um of it to to general society and as much else it came from a military background like for money at least and the the research and development that was behind it but what really fascinated me was the first like size of those cameras because they were very very small like they were handheld devices uh, that that had a lens and a working a working camera system which amazed me because it took a long time to get like a camera and a phone, for example, and it didn't seem to take up much space a uh, hundred years ago. So mm -hmm. just that the, the, the size really surprised me, even though it's supposed to be mini. Um, another thing that I looked up that was kind of funny is it's obviously it was deviated from cinematography where like uh, any movies that were shot at the time were done on wool film, it was called, or that was at least the camera name. And then the normal camera or the another camera came out that was like smaller and they called that the stand film, I think, or something along those lines. But it was already categorized officially as the mini camera. -ture. So the that mini cam that we're actually talking about is the sub miniature camera, mm -hmm. which is I thought was the, the most ironic way to start the description of mini cams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. And also considering, so I don't know if you saw this, but when I was looking up mini cams, um, the first thing I found wasn't um, action cameras like GoPro is one. It was a medical camera, which might speak about the kind of stuff I usually Google for work. Um, it was a medical camera that, that is used for intraoperative imaging of, the, of blood vessels, which I thought was really cool, right? Um, and that's even smaller. And essentially, a camera, we don't realize a camera isn't much more than a camera can be a single pixel and still be still tell us a lot of things about about the presence and absence of light it's super cool but as you mentioned kind of the mini camera is just a word for something that that is an order of magnitude smaller or larger than than something else um, while still being fully functional i thought that was really cool um just because it makes you think about what a camera what an image really is right we're looking at each other through digital cameras um, instead of through film, uh, like old cinematography pieces might have been made, um, but they are still considered kind of the same thing, the same, the same deal, the same camera. They've just changed massively over time, and in their uses too. I think that's where they've changed predominantly, because it's always been about making it small, but now it's about finding a specific use to make it small for. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is really like spying was one of the first things throughout like Cold War, et cetera, where then really small cameras were developed. Like you said, you don't need a really great camera to tell you a lot. So if people had a small like camera on their on their tie or on their uh, dressing uh, gown or whatever it was in that moment, 
it was always a very useful bit of information for others. So there was uses for that and reasons to make it small. There was uses like medicine, like you said, which cameras have been used more and more. You have big imaging things, right? Which are not, they're another imaging thing, but this is like a camera up close and down and it's all about the size and getting it down there. And then you have all kinds of other weird ones like like home watching, for example. There's like phone chargers you can buy with cameras in them. So you can mm -hmm. access them from further away. Now ring doorbell is huge, right? Where it's all about seeing who's in front of your door. I think it's really interesting how we've just gotten very creative with our use of cameras. Yeah, and creating a need for them as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, God damn it. Seeing something means you believe it more. I think that's how people see it. Like, you know how they say believe, uh, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing, or at least people that follow, that believe in Santa Claus or religion, not to equal those two, but just that, you know, that mm -hmm. the belief should be strong enough. But I think generally people like to see hard evidence of things, which is seeing makes them very concrete about things. So it installs safety. So you, that's a huge selling point um, with like these doorbells, for example, or permission to use it as spyware yeah it's yeah that's actually really interesting right because it goes back to the whole to the whole war perspective that we had in the beginning but also to how much we use cameras to track information across across the world right uh through satellites for example or, or a kind of spoiler uh, in formula one as well right i i be interested in kind of knowing how many sensors and formula one are light sensors which are essentially single pixel cameras to some degree right it's it's light that that is emitted somewhere and that reaches somewhere and then through the changes in that you can figure out something about the, the um the status of, of whatever you're monitoring and i think that's really interesting um both in considering how how kind of far we've we've come and where we're going um, because I'd argue that cameras started as a photography thing, not as a, cinemato a cinematographic thing, then became cinematography, became video, became video communication. And then the next question is, what's next? Huh? And if you, look at, if you look at companies like Meta, who are essentially betting it all, that things like the metaverse are going to be the next thing. So constant live surrounding of essentially displays that, that act as if cameras are surrounding you that kind of displays what a virtual camera would, would show you, what a virtual video would show you. Yeah, it's interesting to see where we go, kind of what uh, what uses we're going to try and find for cameras outside of science and technology, but in every, every aspect and facet of our lives. Absolutely. Um, the use of cameras, another big one is like social media going mm -hmm. off of um, like meta, meta universes, uh, and metaverse and meta, meta and whatever it is yeah all of those um but everybody uses cameras to share moments with their friends and followers on on social platforms which is also a huge use um and then you have more the fun aspect also in terms of wanting to share what you do people that like to surf or skydive or do those kind of things or race for example they like to have you know gopros or other uh cameras on their on their heads to really like show the experience talking about mm -hmm. f1 there's 300 sensors up to 300 sensors on an f1 car 150 to 300 it usually varies 
there's no set number in terms of uh, how many light sensors there are, but there's 300 sensors, which just should tell you. And every car, for that matter, for anyone who hasn't watched an F1 broadcast, uh, you usually see driver perspectives. So there's a variety of cameras on the car, like the front wing, the driver, inside the driver helmet, so you can see his perspective on top of the car, on the rear wing, looking behind the car. Uh, I think in total, there's close to 30 cameras on a car. And if you have the pro TV subscription, you can view all of them in real time during the race, which is another crazy use for mini cams because they can't be big on an F1 car, if, especially if there's that many of them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sheer amount of information that we can gather uh, in, in a short period of time with, with relatively low effort is really cool. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I work with cameras pretty much every day. Yeah. Oh, well, with, with one specific camera, that's that's part of the setup of my microscope. Um, but that's another thing, you know, outside of, of video transmission and of, of creating an image, cameras are used for, for a variety of other things that might not be in the public eye, in my case, for, for science and for the quantification of really small changes in light um, um, across varying things. Yeah, and to consider that all of that came from essentially a wooden box with with two lenses in it, one for focusing, one for imaging, uh, and then it burned a chemical signal onto a plate of chemicals. And now we've come to the to the point where we're we're digital with this. It's really really cool. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there are also a lot of dangers to to increased use of cameras, right? Mm. Because with safety comes intrusion of privacy. And often there's like snapping back to that. Often there's an issue with like everybody has certain freedoms, but it's not a freedom anymore if it inhibits someone else's freedom. Right. And that's mm -hmm. kind of, I think sometimes with cameras, it's really tough. And uh, for me, it's not even like a doorbell or something or uh, like something in that regard, but something that I really don't think is that great in terms of the long lasting effect is uh for example sharing all kinds of photos of your newborn kids and like throughout the time they grow up on, yeah. on the platform because when that kid grows up he's going to notice his whole life is documented online and like the world already knows exactly everything about them. and that's kind of scary i think yeah. so there's also a lot of danger to you know having the access to all these cameras and how easy they are to use and store and um, you know, access. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a, here's a scary fact. Um, you know what an MRI machine is, right? Magnet magnetic resonance imaging. Um, yeah, I couldn't gotten... have told you the abbreviation, but yeah, yeah. I do know what it is. <laughs> We've gotten so good at MRI imaging that they're not cameras per se, right? But they, they create an image from, from a light stimulus from a, well, magnetic wave which is electromagnetic blah 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 you catch my meaning um well, yeah. they don't they don't yeah they change yeah it doesn't matter uh, very broadly said they they have a signal and they create an image from it and we've gotten so good at reconstructing people and things from mri images that when an mri is taken off someone's head artificially the like let's say the nose and mouth region and jaw are cut out artificially because otherwise recognition software can recognize that face so well that we can assign it the person whose whose face it is, right? 
which is scary considering like medical um, observation and medical espionage and these sort of things when paired with information from facial recognition in cities. That's not good to hear. <laughs> yeah, did you know that? You didn't know no, that. I, huh? did not. I, haven't, I haven't told I you that before. Not. I haven't told you that before. Yeah, so it's <laughs> so it's it's standard practice to cut out parts of the face so that it can't be reconstructed um, and used to to track someone's face. Well, I'm happy it's regulated. Someone. I'd be a lot more scared if it was regulated. Mm. Which it, 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 so I'm okay with it. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, but crazy, huh? Because I've had my head. I've had my head in an MRI. Like right, yeah, you might. Yeah, you that's might scary. Yeah, but I guess they had to. They had to cover the. They had to cut like this space out. I guess. Yeah. So uh, on the ones I've seen, the eyes stay on. For, for, sorry for the it. audio. <laughs> I'm I'm gesturing around my face. He's pointing <laughs> at his entire face. There is no region. He's going. He's going like. He's going crazy. Just Don't the entire show face. Show them either. You can't show them either. <laughs> Yeah, so they but cut yeah. they cut like the nose and jaw kind of area out. But my eyes are in there. There's like there's cognitive, uh, like. Yeah, but it doesn't uh, contain bio. It's not that good. That retina scanner. Sorry, it's not that good. It's not that good. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, it's like it could it could track the superficial features of your face, like like nose to mouth kind of area, jawline, and these sort of things. And it might still be able to do some things with your eyebrow, but not enough to recognize your face infallibly. Fair, fair, cool. Well, cool and scary and cool, I guess. Yeah. Amazing how much we can do, like from the simple idea of a camera. I wanted to, I wanted to mention, um, and I'm, we've talked about this on the podcast at least two or three times before because it was such a good story. So last year we were in Prague together, and uh, one of our friends, Kieran, who was also on the show, um, he had mentioned he wanted to go to a specific museum. And it was an old Soviet museum, essentially. Uh, and we had a very, very entertaining tour. Uh, he gave us a great tour through the very interactive uh, museum. A lot of enthusiasm. He was basically a private collector of a lot of artifacts. And he really liked history and had a passion for entertainment, acting it and, uh, and showing it. And to be fair, he did a good job. I, I, we enjoyed it, at least. We, we weren't expecting anything crazy and we got crazy good in a way so we were happily surprised uh but a lot of the a lot of the old artifacts downstairs were actually spy cameras that had been used uh during the cold war mm -hmm. and it was really really interesting to see the kind of technologies he also knew the backstories behind uh for example like who was producing them and who was getting supplied by who uh in the war and a lot of these cameras actually the, the first many cameras made they were made by, I think, a Lithuanian company. And during the Second World War, when I, I think it's Lithuania, I don't want to misspeak. But anyway, this, they were shipping to Germany and they were predominantly supplying Germany. And then in the time when Germany and Russia were in a conflict, they were supplying both of them because both were reliant on spyware from the same supplier, which I mm -hmm. thought was just hilarious. Uh, also very ironic during a time of war. Um, but the 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 use of spy cams was amazing because every story he told where he was talking about the assassination of someone coming back to this 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 museum or experience i guess you could call it we had uh was all about involving some form of, of camera at that time when it was available and there was some crazy forms of it like 
cameras in every single aspect of clothing, essentially, yeah. and uh, all kinds of different like cigarette lighters or boxes or, and of course there was options with cameras or grenades or whatever it should be or mines. It was, it's amazing how it's completely integrated into that whole like get up very quickly. Yeah. Do you think there's two images out there of two spy cameras photographing each other by accident? Like like two spies walking down the street and each. Okay, like, so not a third, oh, I, not a, oh, I, not a third yeah. guy. Oh, also funny. Guy, also funny. <laughs> a third guy taking a picture of two guys. Two yeah, spies like, photographing like Max Fosh does with the two private investigators. It's it's just like the Spider-Man meme. All so that's what I was thinking of as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm sure there is, but they never there's, shared it. They probably deleted them be, because right? it's you proof see? of them getting caught. <laughs> Did you see the picture of um, the two bullets that hit each other amid, or the bullet that hit another bullet midair and penetrated yeah. it and someone found it? Yeah, kind of like that, but with spy cameras is what I was thinking. That bullet, didn't they, uh, I think they merged, right? They just stuck together. Yeah, they, yeah. They so one, into one pierced, object. One pierced the other, yeah. They did that test on, um, on uh, Mythbusters. And uh, they, they, yeah, they, they lined them up perfectly and the timing was instant, like the same. And they completely went into each other, like straight on. Oh, that's cool. really cool. Yeah. So not a myth definitely works. Just the, uh, the, if that just happens in a firefight, the chances of them actually hitting are very, very low. So that yeah. does have to happen first. Yeah. 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 Another creepy thing about cameras. A lot of people use them in their Airbnbs when they rent them yeah. out. That yeah, like when I, I was looking up, that. that was, that was like 90% of what was showing up just weird airbnb host cameras found yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. weird the 20th weird one and there was shit from someone had like taken out like he made his fan look broken but had a camera in between yeah. there uh, and and like like smoke detectors wall chargers light switches teddy bears everything man yeah and uh People have tried to sue for that. Apparently, it's a gray zone, so not regulated. Technically, it's your own home, yeah. and you're not quite renting it out. There's no like, you know. So it's kind of uh, up in the air. They didn't successfully win the lawsuit. He was allowed to keep the cameras rolling yeah. while while guests were there. Yeah, which is creepy as hell. Which means you can live stream your Airbnb while while you're away and someone else is there and it's totally legal yeah Even, like it can be anything like they could i don't know which is scary but i guess also just behave yourself in the airbnb or yeah, find but, all the cameras first i mean listen you go on a you go on a holiday with with your partner and you know you want to have sex in an airbnb you, it's crazy all that over you have the to place consider, that you have to consider the fact that someone will see there's a like a good chance that someone will see that like my, maybe yeah. even live. It's crazy. It's disgusting. I agree. Total invasion of privacy, but yeah. it's his freedom to do so. Basically, the judge ruled that you have to watch out what you do in other people's homes. Yeah. So that was kind of the, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm being more and more turned off by the idea of Airbnbs just in general, because it's always like, oh, we'll get an Airbnb. It'll be like, we're living together. It's like, well, but we're, so that's cool, but we're on holiday, right? So like do i want to live with do i want to live in a big on my holiday we could get hotel rooms for similar prices and they will give us breakfast and we don't have to use the shitty airbnb knives and we don't have to worry about taking out the trash 
but the Airbnb usually has a bigger fridge for beer. Yeah, okay, okay. But um, hotel rooms have bathtubs. And if you have more than one hotel room, you can just use one bathtub for like living and beer. one for beer. Especially so you have two, if the, especially you have if the hotel has like free ice dispensaries. Yeah. I don't think that exists anymore. That's an old thing. Yeah. You uh, haven't been in hotels in a long time. <laughs> I haven't. Well, because my mom used to work in, in hotels, right? Uh, she was a cult, what was it? I don't, I don't even know. She hated it. Uh, so we'd never stay in hotels because she'd always be like, really like, well, they're doing this wrong. This isn't a four-star thing. They're actually not fulfilling these regulations. Oh, their pricing like agencies are doing this and this wrong. So we, she'd always be really critical. <laughs> and then when she left the job and she hated it, she, we were like, well, we're not going to stay in hotels anymore. That makes sense. Hotels are probably... usually more expensive though, honestly. Like yeah. you, you have the convenience of Airbnbs have downstairs. gotten pretty expensive, dude. Honestly, yeah, but usually you still see quite a significant price difference. That does not just mean yeah. like breakfast. Yeah, so true. like and in Air... Prague, that place for for what were we five people and we were yeah. there for five nights. We paid less than four hundred euro. You weren't going to yeah. find a hotel with that. Yeah, fair. Yeah, but especially in Prague, uh, Airbnb is ruining uh, living in Prague for, for natives. It's really annoying. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily do great things. That's true. I was, uh, yeah, I, that's a whole other argument. Anyway. It, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you were going to. Well, I was just going to move on. I was going to use them. this lovely segue into the next aspect of, well, GoPros. Is what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, go go on, go on. Well, GoPros are obviously when you when I thought of mini cam, the first thing I thought of was GoPros. I was like, mm -hmm. "There's no other mini camera." Until I realized what it actually means. Um, but GoPros are really interesting because we talked about creating demand for them, and the guy that founded created GoPro. He was like an he just loved to surf. He was a mad loving surfer, and that's all he did, and he always had to like go out with five, six friends. And one of them had to just catch the perfect timing of the wave, which was a really small chance. And essentially uh, he wanted to have a camera with him so he could take good snapshots and show his friends and other people what it was actually like to do it because he wasn't satisfied with the other shots that it were coming out. And from that, he, he turned it into GoPro and it's amazing what it has kind of turned into and turned him into a billionaire. And uh, they have even gone into other ventures and, and tried to, you know, they're a public company for quite a long time already. And it's amazing because everybody wants a GoPro. Everyone wants to share these moments in their own way and whatever they're doing. Plus the cameras are insanely good. Like what is it? The newest one, the hero black eight or, or something like that and it, stunning images so pretty cool yeah gopro i i also had a look at gopro right now I, I was really surprised to hear um that for for some time they were doing really poorly i mean so the guy who invented them um was from a like apparently like a super rich background and then gopro exploded once he started making the initial investment and they couldn't keep up with it and they tried to branch out and it didn't work and at a time gopro was doing really really poorly um, at, at like under five dollars a stock and I thought well I you know okay fair enough you know you started hearing about GoPro left and right in the early 2010s 
in my in my case, I guess. And then yeah, I haven't heard, heard about GoPros in a while, and now they are they are pretty much like action cameras. Whereas back then it felt like you know everyone did want to GoPro. It was like a super normal thing that like anyone who has anything to film would use a GoPro. Yeah, and it kind of I think broke. I think first it was like everybody should be wearing these on their head. And then they went more into the direction of um, the initial reason why it was created, right? Just like to show the action that's that's happening that I'm that I'm doing right now, which which I think it also changed their marketing with like they have a lot of stuff at these like extremer sports events, um, people wearing them all the time and collabing with with all of the sports teams to get that footage. Um, I mean, the only reason GoPro isn't in Formula One is just because they're not small enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, they would probably be the partner, honestly. Um, and I think they've even had, they've been a sponsor in the past in F1, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're huge in other like Red Bull themes um, or Red Bull backed uh, sports, yep. like extreme sports, right? Biking, skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing. surfing. Absolutely. Even like stuff like cliff diving and, and there's all kinds of like, crazy competitions that Red Bull's involved with that GoPro also does. It's it's pretty cool. And I don't know if it's just marketing, but I think it's part of the marketing, but it really pays off because I see a lot, I have a lot of friends that share their GoPro experiences when whenever they're doing something. Mm-hmm. And it's cool for me too. It's cooler than seeing a picture of them because I'm like, okay, I, I, I know exactly what you were going through at that moment. It brings you a closer and better experience. It's a really interesting use of it too, because you do have to sell it to people and they have to realize the value that it creates. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so I was listening to an ad by GoPro and they were saying, yeah, well, we've got the system now that can, um, that can essentially live figure out kind of what shot you're taking and help you design the shot to make it better, you know, like with, with adjustments and post-production and these sort of things. And I thought that was crazy, right? Like you have a system inside a GoPro that can figure out what it's filming right now and adjust on the fly. Super crazy. Kind of like really interesting AI stuff going on there. Here's a fun fact about cameras. Um, When I was taking a medical imaging class, um, one of my professors was um, was a computer scientist. And we were talking on Zoom and we had the Zoom filters on and he he looks in the camera, super nice, um, Alberto, super nice Italian man. And he goes in an Italian accent, I'm not going to do it, but you can imagine that maybe he goes, ah, yes, this is the only way AI and imaging actually works. And we go, what do you mean? He's in, in any, in any situation where you think, well, AI might be helping us with imaging. None of them are as successful as, as face filters because we can recognize the face. It's on the level of information that is super easy to acquire, super easy to plot something new onto. And the kind of things you want to do with it are super simple. So he's no, the, the most successful like AI in images and videos are on, on our like Snapchat filters. Um, Snapchat like, is, yeah, sorry, continue. Crazy, are like GoPros recognizing where they are. These, that's the level where we're really, really good at with imaging right now. Yeah, and Snapchat's actually a really interesting point because most people list them as a social network while they themselves list themselves as a um, photography app essentially, and a photography business. Um, Because what they're doing is providing the software to have these really cool, crazy experiences and to be able to to share them with each other. They had reels first, they had stories first, they had 
you know, the, the sending each other clips or pictures first, they had all those things first and they've been copied by, by a bunch of other ones, but uh, they've really built their thing around using facial recognition in their, in their imaging uh, software, I guess. Mm-hmm. that that takes advantage of all the cameras and it's cool because it's applicable to a lot of cameras which really proves your friend's point like it's it, it you don't need a crazy good camera to to be able to have this level of like or this effective use of ai essentially yeah. with if you're working through facial recognition yeah really fun ah i i think this this first topic really suited me quite a lot i love cameras i love imaging it's super fun very uh, interesting i i had one more thought which is um to, so there's so in mass spectrometry there's something called the mass spec pen which is very simply put like if you imagine the structure of a pen with like the bobble in the middle imagine that but it sucks in kind of water through the sides and then it puts those through a mass spectrometer and it can analyze what ions are in it and essentially that's nothing different than um than an iron camera you know you point it at something and it, okay it has to touch it and it has to feel it but it's kind of like a touch-based camera and then you get information about what's in it completely different but kind of the same principle right you point at it you have some sort of signal that you take in uh, and then you can display it as as uh, information across an xyz i thought that was super interesting like the idea that yeah okay we know what cameras are we know they're they're typically uh, or they they function with light but if you expand the the definition just a tiny bit the ideology really behind things. it the ideology yeah. behind it is not much different it's the same basic principle it's just a different different use or different different resources are are applied and used yeah it's fascinating absolutely well on that bombshell i think on that bombshell we, yeah we can close this topic <laughs> this has been very interesting yeah um I look forward, we'll, we'll figure out at the end of this episode what our next um, topic will be, and it'll be some random other surprise. But for now, let us move on to Formula One topic. All right, Formula well, One. Yes. Um, we're back, baby. Fucking, we're, it's race week, three weeks in a row. I'm so happy. Me too, me too. So much so much although i probably will miss most of this weekend but um qualifying and most of the race should be in it so we'll see but even without that formula one has been crazy and for some reason by absence of it throughout the summer has uh still been very present in the media because there's been a lot of speculation driver's seasons going on there's a lot of back and forth and uh I think that's the main storylines that are the narratives that are being told right now as we go race to race, especially in this triple header. And it started at Spa last weekend where Alpine had a lot to talk about uh, or a lot of questions to answer, at least along with McLaren and Aston Martin and Alonso. And the list goes on and on. Well, now we're at the point where Alonso and Lewis hated each other and now like each other and took a friendly photo and kind of settled their beef from the crash from last race, mm-hmm. which was fun to see because apparently Lewis just posted a meme after the race uh, with the signed cap with the tag to Fernando on it. Mm-hmm. And like in response to his idiot comments and he only knows how to start in first and race. Um, and then Alonso went and actually wanted to pick up his hat today and uh, got a new one because that one was actually not a real hat. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was kind of a funny story. Yeah, it was nice. You know, I mean, yeah. Alonso and Hamilton have so much history um, with each other. 
Uh, so it's nice to see them kind of interact a bit more there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fun. It's also good for the press. It's good for followers, for everybody. It's good fun. Yeah. Um, but of course, the main focus has been on who will be on the grid next year. And yeah. there's a lot of talk about that. There's like, to, I mean, there's a brief coverage of, so the teams that already have everything confirmed are Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari. Ferrari. And that's pretty much, well, and Aston Martin at this Aston point. Aston Martin has it confirmed. Um, and I believe that's it. Technically, Alpha Tauri has been confirmed. Yeah, but I mean, the the contract uh, extension with Gasly was always a bit strenuous, right? I mean, he signed Yuki it. Yuki has a contract for next year, though, correct? Yuki has a contract, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so on paper, they are confirmed. But if Gasly is involved in rumors surrounding the other teams, such as Alpine, Alonso went to Aston Martin, or will be going there. Uh, so we have a free seat at Alpine potentially because Piastri wants to go to a different team, which he confirmed this weekend is McLaren. Um, and that's kind of been a, a known secret for a very long time. Uh, McLaren is also looking for Piastri, who have announced that Ricardo is leaving, so he's in search for a team. So there's a lot of triangles there. Um, Alpine is looking to fill that that gap that Piastri will leave as Alonso is also gone, so they need someone next to Ocon. Mick and Gasly seem to be the two only really considered options, and Gasly seems to be a heavy favorite for it. What else is there? Then we have Haas not having confirmed Mick for the next year. Exactly. Which but is why he's not looking... having... Haas doesn't have a driver's academy, so they don't have no. like, someone they back intrinsically. However... And uh, Gunther Steiner has completely denied this, but apparently there's thoughts that Ferrari always has space for one of their academy drivers in there. Like they, they get to determine who the second driver is, essentially. Mm-hmm. And with Mick having left Ferrari or will be leaving Ferrari at the end of the season, um, he's not guaranteed the house spot based off that anymore. But apparently Steiner said we're allowed to pick our own two drivers, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm not quite sure... Uh, what will be happening there? However, if Gasly leaves AlphaTauri, then there's a free seat there. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's interesting, though, right? Because the AlphaTauri seat, you know, the the whole argument of oh, you know, Ferrari might have some have some dealings with Haas, be it be that contractual or not, or Haas just taking a good deal when they see one. AlphaTauri is very much a contractual thing, right? Alpha, the AlphaTauri seat isn't going to go to someone who isn't part of the Red Bull Drivers Academy. In my yeah. opinion, they're not they're not going to take Mick, for example. I don't think. Um, Alpha Tauri is a sister team, but is also kind of still the daughter team that is there to kind of facilitate the growth of of talent within their ranks. The issue is that Red Bull doesn't necessarily. I mean, they've come out and said they would take. Um, there's there's a couple options plus otherwise junior drivers, but apart from I think Liam Lawson, there isn't really anyone that's in their own academy that's really really great and you kind of see this with the teammates they've had since max was there essentially right like albon Mm -hmm. gasly um then they brought in perez because apparently their academy wasn't their the talents they had picked their pipeline wasn't good enough to fill that void so they needed to bring someone in from the outside so i think right now they've 
they're a little skim, but I would give Liam Lawson. I've been watching him a bit in F2, and I think he's a pretty good driver. Like I like him a lot. Um, I would give him a, but I don't know if he directly needs to jump into the car or if he needs to take a year as a reserve driver. The other uh, person apparently that's favored to then get that position because there's already a meeting with the FIA about this is to get Colton Herta into AlphaTauri. Yeah. And um, the issue there is he's an IndyCar driver and the way super license, you need to have a super license to race in F1. And the way those points are given out, you need to collect a certain number of points. I think it's 40. Mm. And in the IndyCar series, the points are not as like fully distributed as in F2. So the issue is that he doesn't have a super license right now and probably will not at the end of that season in time. So there's they're asking for leniency, essentially. Um, potentially, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But that's what that meeting is about. And if they do waive that, then he can join. And then I think he will beat out Mick for that seat because they probably wouldn't like to pick up talent from somewhere else. And to be fair, they probably don't see Mick much, much further ahead than their other junior drivers. So it wouldn't be worth filling the spot. Like, you know, but Colton Herta, they still see maybe like he's like a junior that they would be willing to bring in. He's at that level. Maybe they see him as a bit higher than the other juniors they have. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. But for that, I think it sadly means if uh, Haas doesn't resign Mick, it's going to be really tough for him to to find a seat. Yeah, yeah. We we were chatting about it earlier. I reckon, yeah, a test driver role is probably is becoming more and more realistic as as an as a, an outcome that he might have to view positively, um, because I think the chances outside of Haas are dwindling quite quickly. Now, uh, I would make an argument for for Williams. Um, they might be interested in Mick because he has experience. He comes. I think I think he'd be a step up from Latifi. A hundred percent. And you you will probably know this better than I do. But Williams does have a driver in their kind of academy that they might want to promote, though, right? So, yeah, they have um, an American actually, which adds to the um, same debate as like last year. Essentially, we had Alfa Romeo having a free seat, and they took. Joe instead of Castri. They could, if they wanted to, they could have probably tried to get him that seat. And um, Joe had a lot more money, and he was a first Chinese driver, so a big marketing option. And uh, Logan Sargent is the American coming in, and he's a Williams Junior driver. He's currently, I think, P three in the standings, if I'm not mistaken. And in F two, you get the super license if you finish in the top five, I believe, or top mm -hmm. three. Um, and if he finishes in the top five this season, he's okay and he has a super license. And I think it makes a lot of sense for him to get the seat, to be honest. It, yeah. it makes sense. Williams may as well focus on a long-term option. They're financially more flexible now because of the investors, all of that. Um, and they have one driver who they can definitely count on building around. So, and Albon's experience is a kind of team lead. Mick is definitely better than Latifi. And he brings sponsorship, but it's that same battle again. Um, yeah. Because the American market is huge. There's three races. He's going to be testing the car at Coda this year. So um, he's like in the FP1. The issue is that Americans like to see their people win. And I think in the past when um, American drivers, I think 2015 was the last time there was an American. Scott Speed, right? No, Rossi, no? Alexander Rossi. Oh, okay. Scott Speed was around that time, though, too. Yeah, which is a great name, by the way. I, one of the best names I've heard. Scott Speed sounds amazing. You kind of got and, it. And 
either a race driver or a drug addict you know like mm-hmm. one of the two <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah that americans like to see their teams do well um and they'll lose interest if the car is always at the back of the field and the williams is the slowest car this year so i don't know how that will go but i think it'll definitely waken some people up and they'll love to cheer for him at those three races so yeah yeah i don't know i don't know so i and i haven't heard much in terms of like mick and and williams to be honest yeah no i mean i know he's talking to everybody and he's probably more likely to take those seats than daniel ricardo is for haas and williams i think ricardo would rather take a year off than do that um because for one year what's really the point i don't think he's going to be motivated yeah um so rather to potentially already line up a seat for next year and step into a reserve driver role for that year which is what we were also talking about with mercedes which apparently has been an actual conversation that's been held yeah yeah we were talking about it today about ricardo maybe taking over the um maybe taking over a mercedes seat in the future and i just don't think he's got the merit for it these days you know reserve driver is one thing and and surely that would be quite valuable but who really comes back from being a reserve driver is the question you know okay kubica did um you could argue alonso came back but hülkenberg came back once or twice but none of them came back full fully you know so you gotta yeah you gotta wonder No, that's what you would only do it as a stipulation. Instead of like a sabbatical, you'd still do that. Getting prepared for your new role that you will have signed. Yeah, But it's not really how F1 goes because usually things are pretty spontaneous and, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what contracts are signed or not. So people kind of just do whatever they want. Gasly signed a contract like four months ago and he's probably going to go to Alpine tomorrow. So, yeah. Yeah. Here's a, here's a fun question. Um, so the domino started falling when Fetcher left and then, then very quickly chaos reigned. Do you think once like the first next step is going to be made, so we'll confirm um, Piastri to wherever he goes to McLaren, let's say, do you think the other pieces will also very quickly fall or are we going to have a much longer silly season? So assuming that McLaren... so. At the time of this recording, McLaren announced a press conference. Today's Thursday. Today's the decision day of the uh, CRB, meeting on the two contracts that Piastri has apparently signed for this next season. Mm-hmm. And McLaren has scheduled a press conference for Friday at 2.45 p.m. And it's being attended by Andreas Seidel and Zach Brown. So the assumption is that the result will be announced publicly and their drivers will be announced. I personally think that it'll still be a few days until Alpine announced their drivers because, you know, they'll, they'll properly have a situation and then they'll start discussing. So I don't think they're prepped to immediately roll anything out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I think then the others will fall pretty quickly, to be honest. Like, I think at the end of the triple header, we'll probably know most of the grid. Like maybe that Williams seat will still be open. Okay. Okay. That's yeah, my, and maybe the house seat, to be honest. Yeah, because I reckon we're going to see dominoes fall really quickly. I reckon Piastri is going to be confirmed to go wherever he goes. McLaren. Then Ricardo very quickly is going to follow and do the opposite. And then we're going to see almost all fall, except for maybe the Haas one, which are basically going to take Mick if he makes some good points and take Giovinazzi otherwise. 
for Ferrari. Yeah. Gio didn't... I, I liked him in F1, to be fair. He, he was fun, but he... Yeah, but listen, we, we talked about Giovinazzi ages yeah. ago during the podcast. I, I like Giovinazzi as well. My, my issue is he just, you know, in, in his final season, he started showing really real qualifying performance. Mm-hmm. But, but he never that, backed he's, it up. He's just never had that good of a track record. And and you can argue the same about Mick Nam. You know, that's the reason why Mick is considered as, as probably there's a good chance of him leaving F1. You know, and then I don't, don't think Giovinazzi ever got six, though, to be fair. I don't think he ever got P6 no? Yeah. Let me double check it, though. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you see my point, right? It's why would he come back except for the fact that he's Italian? And then at that point, you can, you know, why would, yeah, then you can also keep Mick because he's a Schumacher in German. And you have the name. You have the name more than anything else, which yeah, yeah, still course, counts yeah. for a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know what to think of Haas these days because they've they've built a good car. Kind of their strategy has has kind of worked out, but at the same time, you know them getting Magnussen and signing him multi year and then kind of, you know, I feel, yeah, I I gotta wonder what their end game is. You know, like get the best driver for the for the least amount of money, okay, and that they can trust for a long time, okay, but so they don't want to invest in someone long term, but they also don't want to buy someone expensive so so what's their game plan are they going to take whatever ferrari gives them but that might not be the best for them you know agreed agreed also giovanazzi comes with experience but not necessarily the experience that can necessarily add value at the point where Haas is yeah because he's never been with a like better team like albon would fit well into Haas at this point because he's been with red bull so he'd be able to identify the that difference, assuming Haas wants to close the gap to the upper midfield. Yeah. And like that would make sense. But Giovinazzi seems like a Ferrari pick, to be fair. Yeah. Because Ferrari doesn't really have anybody else. And yeah. if it's really just a Ferrari pick, then and and Giovinazzi is the only one that's still doing like he's the only one that may be in contention, I think, for Haas. And that's it. All make us to do. I'm hoping he gets points in Zandvoort because hopefully the track will suit them. So yeah. if we can get like grand like an eighth place or something out, that'd be awesome. And um, I think that would already be sufficient, to be honest. Yeah. Like then it's right now and Haas goes, yeah, fine. And they, they said in end of September or so, that's when they'll announce it. So if he has that under his belt, he'll have yeah. the pressure off and he'll be able to probably score another one. Yeah. I mean, the Haas people have been saying they go well in um, in high downforce. So I'd expect them to do kind of all right in... Um, uh, in in Zandvoort in Singapore, which we're going to soon. Um, where else? What else do we have left on the calendar? The state uh, we have Japan, yeah, but Japan isn't high downforce. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Austin, which isn't high downforce. Here, let's see. So Singapore, followed by Japan, followed by. Well, a long break. Giovinazzi's best finish was fifth, by the way, but probably in a better car. Gotcha. Ah, okay. Mexico, United States. 
uh, Sao Paulo. It's not, yeah, there aren't that many races left where um where the Haas might be able to shine. Yeah, so I'm hoping Zandvoort, to be honest. Yeah. So it's got to be Zandvoort, Singapore. Mick has never driven in Singapore, I don't think, at least not in Formula One. I'm not sure if F2 goes there. Yeah. Ay, 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 ay. Not looking good. This for weekend him. will be it. Yeah. But I do think he has a future in F1. Mm. Well, to be fair, the the Haas did go well in in uh, in in Silverstone, which isn't a necessarily a high downforce track. So you could argue that that's an indication that it might go well in a place like Singapore. If they have the right adjustments, uh, not Singapore, uh, Japan, right... Japan. Sorry. Yeah, they bring the right updates. I think that might be a real option. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, Mick has. Uh, this is only the second race where Mick has the new upgrades. Let's see how those go. They clearly didn't do yeah. much for high speeds. So Monza is probably no. the question for him. Yeah, yeah. I, the Haas was the slowest car on the weekend by quite a stretch. It was not good. I mean, they beat yeah. Latifi, but you know. But yeah. then again, he only finished like two seconds behind Magnussen, and he had to start from the back because of penalties. Yeah. So, you know, I don't see that race as, as really a bad thing. To be yeah. honest, like it didn't, it didn't. I wouldn't count it against him. Put it that way. That race. Yeah, the whole fair. weekend really. That's fair. Is there any other news in the world of Formula One? Oh, surely so many, but none that I that I have on top of my head right now. Me neither. I'm sure we'll be back in the next episode with a lot of other uh, announcements and potential stories yeah. about Honestly, I activities. Honestly, by, by the time this, by the time Wednesday comes around next week, uh, we're gonna have quite a few things to talk about Formula One wise. How many seats of the open ones do you think will have been announced by then? Uh, all but one. Just the house one remaining? Yeah. Or the Williams one? Just the house one. Just the house one. Okay, I'm going to say the house and the Williams one will still be open. Mm -hmm. All right, this will be funny to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It'd be funny if F1 Instagram just brings out the finalized grid tomorrow at 8 o'clock and just says, confirmed, all done. That's the only announcement that comes. It'd be a whole different way to, to... to like here here's a bombshell go for it and on that bombshell perfect segue i think uh we can call it there for today yeah for sure um let's let me get the random word generator um we'll do that off the air right yes i agree and then uh we will come back next week with uh, another completely random topic all right actually why don't we do it on here it's kind of fun yeah, but People then, know. you know, if we don't get a word that we like in the first batch, then we have to kind of slog through it and, and discuss it. I reckon it's better if we do it off the air. We always take the first one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, yeah do it off air. we'll do it off air. That's what, <laughs> I said. That's what I said. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Goodbye.